Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, we present the last of our weekly series from Black and Roots, an anthology of non-traditional zombies, which is available now and features even more strange tales of the undead. Make sure you check the show notes for a link. But before we get to singing zombies, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patron, Pamela. If you'd like to support Black Horror and enjoy ad-free episodes, just go to nightlightpod.com legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast, plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. And in case you missed it, we're raising funds to produce Season 2 of Afflicted. We need everyone's help to keep the show alive, so please check out afflictedaudio.com support and help out however you can. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Dead Man Country, written by Stephen Van Patten and narrated by Christian Young. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and... Let's just be honest, sparklies, not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. To say that Roberta was taken aback by the contestant's appearance and odor is an understatement. Dumbfounded, it took a full seven seconds to find her voice. Hello, I'm Roberta. I'm one of the stage managers. I'm here to take you to stage, Mr. Nail. Then I'm much obliged to you, Roberta, Nail answered as he stood up from the green room's love seat and slipped on his weathered, gothic, black leather jacket. Can I leave my guitar case in here? Sure, Roberta stammered. Nail slung his 1955 Gretsch acoustic guitar over his back. The way the neck stuck out over the left side of his back was reminiscent of the way a movie samurai's katana might be worn. Nail followed the stage manager through the door and down a corridor that led to a series of black curtains. As they walked past a group of stagehands and other theater staff gathered against the left side of the walkway, he greeted their looks of fear and revulsion with a nod and a polite tip of his cowboy hat. Roberta cast an occasional look over her shoulder seemingly caught between making sure Nail was still behind her and avoiding eye contact at all costs, especially since there seemed to be a missing eyelid. When they'd parted the last thick black drape at stage right, they could finally see inside the theater. Just take that seat on that stool center stage. The judges and producers are in the audience. They'll take it from here. Good luck. 
The stage manager pointed the way before hustling back behind the curtain. Thank you very much, Nail nodded as he stepped forward. The air in the 300-person maximum capacity theater was stuffy, but the interior was colorful. Plush burgundy seats and spots of either pale blue or fire orange lighting splashed across paintings and sculptures. Nail's cowboy boots sounded like doors slamming as he strode to the stool and microphone. Once seated in a solitary pool of white light, his pupils dilated in their nearly uncovered sockets as he looked out into the seats. Should I just begin? Nail's first words boomed through the theater speakers. With the nearly blinding intensity of the stage lights, he could barely make out the features of the three celebrity judges seated at a long, unlacquered table squeezed in between the second and third rows, but he could tell they were recoiling, even at this distance. Um, hello, I'm Chad. I think maybe we could talk a little first. A man's shaky voice answered from the shadows. That's fine he said as he positioned the guitar onto his knee. And I know who you are, five-time Grammy and six-time CMT winner Chet Howard, just as I would have had to have been dead a long time not to know who the legendary Miriam Hatfield and Will Ryder are as well. Platinum artists, all of you. Anyway, what would you like to talk about, sir? I guess we could start with you telling us your name and where you're from. Miriam's voice called out. She sounded almost as nervous as Chet. My name is Rusty C. Nail, and I'm from Coosa County, Alabama. Will Ryder suspected this entire encounter was some sort of prank. When he spoke, he sounded decidedly suspicious. I must admit that's quite the get-up, Mr. Nail. You have a friend that does special effects makeup, or did you do this yourself? You a method actor by chance? Mr. Ryder, sir, if you are referring to my undead visage, I feel I should inform you that my appearance is by no means a fabrication, an act, or special effects, as you say. The only part of me that is a performance is what I do with this here guitar. The three judges whispered among themselves as the staff scattered throughout the theater collectively gasped and in hushed tones shared speculations to one another. Finally, Will Ryder asked, Sir, why exactly do you want to be on America's Next Country Star? Well, I thought that'd be obvious, Rusty said. But the short answer is now that I find myself an immortal, I need that there prize money y'all are offering like a snake needs rats. Yes, but you're here now asserting that you want to be on the show and that you're, in fact, a zombie? Zombie American, Rusty corrected. Oh yes, forgive me! Will said with hands held up in surrender. It's just that I'm new to the whole supernatural creatures being real and auditioning to be on a television show to boot. May I ask, were you a part of a government experiment or are you just a harbinger of the end of days? Neither to my knowledge, Rusty answered. I came about my condition the old-fashioned way. You were bitten by a zombie? The lady asked. No, the other old-fashioned way. Rusty answered. And zombies don't bite people who ain't asking to get bit. That there's one of them racist stereotypes perpetuated by Hollywood. So, which doctor? Chet volunteered. Rusty sighed. 
Okay, the very old-fashioned way. I was, in fact, kicked out of heaven. More whispering at the judge's table. The only thing Rusty could make out for sure was when one of the producers said something about him having a face for radio and a body odor for Staten Island. One of the producers separated from the pack inside the theater and stood next to the judge's table. He wore a very typical pair of blue jeans and light blue shirt. His sleeves were rolled up, revealing a Rolex that succeeded in both telling time and screaming, I've won some Emmys. Sir, I don't mean any disrespect, but could you explain what you mean by being kicked out of heaven? Rusty smiled. His red eyes, peeling skin, and dark yellow teeth all seemed to shine in the spotlight's beam. I'm more than happy to explain, Mr. TV Producer Man. He quickly turned one string on the Gretsch and took a deep breath as long, brown, jagged fingernails found the guitar strings. Well, I died and went to heaven, and some thought that was wrong. Cause the way I was living was sinning pretty strong. But a sweet little angel messed up and opened the gates for me. Later, the saints found out and they're not letting me be. Lord have mercy, they're coming to take my wings. Lord have mercy, they're coming to take my wings. Don't wanna go to the other place, cause hellfire showed us sting. Lord have mercy, they're coming to take my wings. Lost track of how long I was there, pretending I'm an angel. The only good thing I done since is help this whore named Mabel. I like my whiskey and my gin up there, guess that's a crime. Cause Gabe's blowing his trumpet and Pete said I'm out of time. Lord have mercy, they're coming to take my wings. Lord have mercy, they're coming to take my wings. Don't wanna go to the other place, cause hellfire showed us thing. Lord have mercy. They're coming to take my wings. Well, sure enough, they kicked me out, didn't even say goodbye. Figured I'd end up in hell where my soul would surely die. But I guess that favor I did, Mabel, earned me a breather. Cause now I'm walking dead on earth, cause hell don't want me neither. Lord have mercy. They came and took my wings Lord have mercy They came and took my wings I'm back and I'm a zombie But at least I can still sing Lord have mercy They came and took my wings Won over by Rusty's emotional delivery and perfect pitch, everyone present gave Nail a thunderous round of applause. Once it died down, Miriam cheered through her broad smile. Rusty C. Nail, we will see you in Memphis! As the crowd continued to weep and holler, Nail realized Miriam must be the one in charge. 
He pushed the stool back and stood up. Much obliged, ma'am. Gentlemen, he said with another tip of his hat as he slung the guitar back over his shoulder and sauntered back to stage right. Once Nail exited, the judges and producers turned to each other. Miriam, are you seriously putting him on air? Chet asked. We're going to need a friggin' parental advisory warning before he performs. I think he's going to make great television, advisory or not. Miriam answered as she turned to the third producer. Make it happen, Brad. Brad, the producer, rolled his eyes as he pulled his cell phone from his jacket pocket. I just hope getting him on a plane isn't going to be the pig fuck I think it will be, he said before turning his attention to his phone call. Hey, Cynthia, have the PAs pick up air freshener. No, a whole bunch. All kinds. Just have them clean out the Walgreens on 5th Avenue, and when you are done with that, call Elise for makeup. Let her know she is going to need a lot of foundation in Memphis, and maybe two fake eyelids. I know it doesn't make sense now, but it will when you see him. Gilbert had asked his wife, Allie, to keep things quiet so he could take a nap and be sharp for work later in the evening. That request, like many he'd made during his 10-year marriage, would end up being ignored. You lied to me! She thundered down at him as he blinked sleep away. Gilbert sat up. For the love of God, woman, I'm working tonight! Yes, I know, oh great zombie killer. At least that's what you tell me you're doing. Gilbert had been sitting on the bed, but stood and faced his wife. That is exactly what I'm doing. Well, I don't know. You could be lying about that, too. What is it with you? He could feel his temper about to give way. I have never lied to you about anything. Tell that to the zombie on America's Next Country Star. What? Barely giving Gilbert a chance to move his legs, Allie pulled her laptop from under her arm and sat down hard on the bed. As Gilbert repositioned himself so he could sit next to her, she furiously typed until a YouTube page appeared. This is what I'm talking about, she said as she turned the volume all the way up and hit the triangle-shaped icon next to the word play. The initially blank screen filled with a TV-14 logo as a voiceover kicked in. The following segment of America's Next Country Star may be disturbing to some viewers. Parents may opt to have smaller children sit this one out. The TV-14 logo faded into blackness, soon to be replaced by the America's Next Country Star red, blue, and gold logo, which after a few seconds whisked away out of frame, revealing Harpy Collins, the blonde, buxom MC of the show. Behind her, a seated audience of 300 people cheered and applauded. Welcome back to America's Next Country Star. Now I need to prepare you folks at home for our next contestant, because he is something of an original. Rusty C. Nail, who hails from Coosa County, Alabama, is not your typical singer or even your typical human being. In fact, he identifies as a true-to-life zombie American. Yes, I find it hard to believe as well. Like most of you, I'm sure, I've never met a zombie before. But folks, I'll tell ya, he is backstage live in the flesh. Sort of. Now, I'm not going to mince words. Rusty might be a little hard on the eyes, but he has an amazing voice and he is here to compete. Now, before we bring him out, here is a look at what transpired when he auditioned. 
As the show cuts to an abridged version of Rusty's interview with the judges before he started singing, a shocked Gilbert jumps to his feet. Allie sneered. Oh, don't act all surprised. Honey, this must be a guy in makeup. Zombies can't even talk, much less sing. This guy's a fraud. She rolled her eyes. Whatever. They continued to watch as the program cut back to Nashville, Harpy Collins, and her enthusiastically cheering audience. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for a real-life embodiment of proof of the existence of God, Rusty C. Nail, with his original song, Dead Man Country. The camera flies over Harpy's head, the shot closing in on the stage. There, Rusty sits alone on a stool as he did in the audition, his glistening guitar mounted on his lap. In the show's control room, the director called out a reminder to his camera operators. All right, everyone, just like we talked about in the meeting, let's play this one kind of loose. Close-ups or no close-ups, Gilbert saw enough of Rusty's complexion to know that he was, in fact, the real deal. Good grief. Anything you want to tell me? Allie snapped. No, dear. He sounded contrite, even though he'd done nothing wrong. They listened to the lyrics intently, especially the part about Rusty being kicked out of heaven. Is that what happens to these poor souls? Allie asked. They get kicked out of heaven and you and your people persecute and kill them? And where do they go after you and your thug friends kill them a second time? As the song ended, his cell phone buzzed. Grabbing it off the nightstand to his right, he saw that it was Raymond calling. Honey, I have to take this. I bet. She huffed as she watched him walk out. In the bedroom doorway, he finally answered the call. Raymond? Thank God! The relieved voice answered. Did you see what happened? If you're talking about the singing zombie on national fucking TV, well then yes! You have to take care of it. The urgency in Raymond's voice was not enough for Gilbert. What the fuck are you talking about? Why me? You're in West Virginia. You're the closest. Gilbert groaned. Fuck me. How did this even happen? I don't know, dude. The best I can say is they seem to have evolved. Evolved overnight into country western stars? You're kidding, right? I don't have another explanation, but I need you to take care of this before I lose my funding. Funding? For the love of Christ, why would the funding get pulled? Raymond sighed. Well, to be fair, I was not honest with you about where the funding comes from. There goes the honesty thing again. What do you mean? You said you were government funded. That is kind of true, but it's the vampire government. Gilbert's eyes grew wide as his head whipped back to see whether Allie overheard Wilson through the phone's bleed through. Thankfully, she was still watching the show, listening to Miriam Hatfield gushing over Rusty's singing. The what, government? Vampires. Now, it was Raymond's turn to sound contrite. My family has had a relationship with their leader for decades. It started when I was a kid. He saved my father and me from muggers, then I snuck out of the house to check on him because I thought he was hurt. You snuck out of the house to save a vampire? Raymond sounded irritated. Yes! Only the exertion gave me an asthma attack. He took me to the hospital and called my father. After that, he became a family friend. Why didn't you tell me this before? 
because it was irrelevant to your situation. You needed to get out of New York after your little gambling thing, so I introduced you to zombie hunting for hire and moved you to West Virginia because that was where an outbreak was, and zombies have been popping up there ever since, and you were being paid handsomely. You didn't need to know about Christian. Well, now I know, Gilbert insisted. So, it was this vampire who just put you in charge of zombie disposal? It's complicated, but Christian used to be sort of a vampire cop. Used to kill a lot of werewolves. Vampires oversee making sure the human public stays oblivious to the fact that all those monsters you see in the movies do exist. But, there was some infighting and he kind of became like their president or something. Then, his political enemies found out he had a whole family of Puerto Ricans that knew everything. He was able to convince the Vampire Nation not to kill us, but only because he was able to prove that we've known what he was since the 1970s and never mentioned anything to anyone who wasn't immediate family. Gilbert interrupted. Wait a minute, you mean the king, or, or president, or whatever of vampires is Puerto Rican? Nah, he's black. Been around since slavery. Shit is wild. Gilbert shook his head in disbelief. The leader of the world's vampires was a black guy from slavery times? How are me and every white person in creation not dead or enslaved? Well, he's not going to kill you, is he? That depends on how quickly we can address this, which is why I already booked you on a very early flight. I will PayPal you some money for expenses and have a guy that will be waiting for you at the airport with some weapons. Weapons? He's in the middle of shooting a TV show. How am I supposed to get next to him? I will see what I can procure on my end as far as a fake ID and an exit strategy are concerned. But the main thing is to get you on the ground. Gilbert sighed. You're going to owe me big at the end of this. I mean it. If you survive. I know, Gilbert. I know. Gilbert ended the call and braced himself for Allie's reaction to his having to leave for Nashville. She was never one for surprises. The caller ID in his cell phone read, unknown, but he knew who it was. Lord Christian! Hello, Raymond. The voice was both familiar and slightly annoyed. And you don't have to call me Lord. Nervousness crept into his voice. Sure, Christian. Christian Brookwater, the Lord of Vampires, seated at his desk in a relatively newly built Manhattan skyscraper, leaned back in his sumptuous burgundy leather office chair. I take it you know why I'm calling. I saw the program, yes. Christian took a deep breath. I need a full report. Is this rusty nail really a zombie? Naturally, I am hoping this is a fake, but I'll have a man on the ground in Nashville by tomorrow morning. Christian's voice raised. I hope you understand how very serious this is. I mean, werewolves were always my problem until we figured out a way to broker a truce. Other vampires were always in charge of catching the cemetery runners. Catching the who? Raymond asked. Cemetery runners, Christian repeated. That's vampire slang for zombies. Oh. Anyway... We never did put enough effort into figuring out why people occasionally rise up to be animated corpses with a taste for human flesh. That's our mistake, I guess. We were focused on the symptoms and not the problem. Yes! 
he may have agreed too strongly. But not to worry. I'll get rid of the singing cowboy zombie. I want him brought in alive. I'm sorry? He felt suddenly dizzy. You want him alive, you said? You know what I mean. Christian realized the mistake in his wording. I want him brought in in his animated state. No final death. How else am I supposed to figure out how they've evolved from wandering around aimlessly attacking people to being fully cognizant and performing country music on TV? Okay, I'll let Gilbert know. Gilbert? Christian sounded uneasy with that revelation. The one with the gambling problem? He's been clear for a while now, he answered. He's been doing a great job in West Virginia, and he's the closest one in my network. Understood, Christian said. Keep me in the loop. Of course. Christian ended the call, then punched up another. Hey, we're going to need a few things. A very recently deceased white guy in his 30s, for one. We are in New York, so hopefully a corpse will materialize naturally, but forced to murder someone, you know how we do it. Find a child molester or something. A woman's voice answered. Check. Next, find a good special effects makeup artist. Then get yourself and those two things in Nashville as soon as possible. Use the private jets to stay ahead and try to beat the commercial flights. I'll deal with the other thing here at home. And tell Steven to call me. I have an assignment for him and his computer lab friends. He ended the second call and slumped down in his seat. After a moment, a single tear fell from the vampire lord's left eye. Damn you, Raymond. Even though Rusty came in second place in the first round of the competition, no one outside of the judges congratulated him at the after party. In fact, once everyone from the show settled inside the Memphis Weston's bar and lounge, no one spoke to him at all. Rusty would find himself alone, quietly nursing a whiskey and water in far a corner, while everyone else reveled over how well things went. The lighting director laughed with the camera guys. Various producers huddled in their West Coast and East Coast cliques of three or four gossiping about God only knows. Harpy Collins and Miriam Hatfield carried on a hushed conversation at the far end of the bar, while judges Chet Howard and Will Ryder stood chatting at the other end, each flanked by their respective wives. The ladies both knew better than to allow their rich, handsome, and famous husbands to roam the hotel without them. Only the stagehands were missing, because they were all locals who lived in Memphis and had gone home to their families. Finally, it was Brad the producer who sauntered over and took a seat on a nearby ottoman. You know, technically you shouldn't be here. You may be undead or whatever, but you're still a contestant. Can't let it get out that you're swaying the judges with your dazzling personality. But doesn't the winner get chosen by people calling in? Rusty squinted with the one eye that had a full eyelid. True, but they're still the ones who must comment on your performance, and it is that commentary that often sways the voting. Someone is liable to say the judges were swayed by the charming zombie's gift of glab. But no one is talking to me, Rusty countered. All the more reason you should go back to your room. Brad rose to his feet, suddenly standing over Rusty like a schoolteacher sending a ten-year-old to the principal's office. Eat him. Okay, Brad. Guess I'll see you tomorrow. 
More than a few of the partiers noticed Rusty get up from his chair, pick up his whiskey, and make his way to the elevator banks. As he disappeared behind the closing doors, Miriam excused herself from Harpy and made her way to Brad. What did you say to him? Just that he shouldn't be down here commiserating with us, Brad explained. Do you see any of the living contestants here? Miriam rolled her eyes. Don't get flipping with me, Brad. You know I have a no-asshole policy as far as the staffing goes. She said his name as if it were an insult. And need I remind you that I am also beholden to the network, Miriam. Brad countered with a slight neck roll and a good dose of venom while saying her name. Miriam's eyes lit with anger. Look here, you little New York queen. I don't care whose dick you're sucking on, I'm the executive producer. And as such, I had better not catch you ever saying anything cross to him again, you hear me? I don't care what he is under there, let it be a zombie or Kenny Rogers himself. It wasn't lost on Brad that people were starting to notice he was being publicly chastised, even if no one was close enough to hear the conversation. Does this have anything to do with your little Christian church group trying to book time with Rusty? Her widening eyes were a giveaway. God damn your heathen New York ass! Rusty Nail is living, breathing, walking proof of God! Maybe, Brad nodded. But I've been speaking to some people, and as far as they're concerned, a zombie is a zombie. He could start killing us at any minute or biting us, and then we're all wandering the theater, slowly decomposing. He's perfectly safe, Miriam said. I've seen it in those soulful eyes of his, that song of his. He's telling the truth. I bet my life on it. You've already bet the show on it, Miriam, Brad snapped. And if he hurts someone, stop it already. It'll be on your head because you had an agenda outside of finding a country star. A country star. Brad walked away, leaving Miriam standing in the middle of the bar looking furious, while everyone else pretended nothing was out of the ordinary. Because his fingers weren't warm enough, Rusty always struggled to answer his cell phone. Hello? He heard a familiar voice. Just called to congratulate you. Yes, thank you. Rusty smiled sheepishly. Only thing is, I don't think some of these people like me very much. They'll like you plenty once you win. I suppose. Rusty sighed. Sure is lonely, though. Well, that's a musician's life on the road, right? Maybe you should use that loneliness to inspire a new song. If that were the only problem, that would be swell. The voice sounded genuinely perplexed. What else could be the matter, Rusty? Those cravings are starting to come back, and the stakes you gave me are starting to run out. Silence. You still there? Don't worry, Rusty. I have someone on the way to you. Can't let you go all rogue biter now that you're a TV star, can we? No, I don't believe that would be ideal. Rest up, Rusty. We'll talk soon. And with that, Rusty's only friend was gone. As he sat on the edge of his hotel room bed, fear started to take over. He knew not what to do. A shower might cause more decomposition and he could go to sleep, 
But who's to say if the death that he managed to sidestep were to take him now? He was weary and all sorts of emotions he hadn't felt since the old days. But that was before the experiment. That was during the dark times when God had indeed kicked him out of heaven, or at least that was what the nice Spanish fella had said. It hadn't given him his facilities back. The kind man on the phone had. The story and subsequent first song that detailed how Rusty had been sent back from heaven? Well, the guidance of the Spanish fella had done it again. Him and his friends who didn't speak much and had rather fearsome-looking teeth. Like any being that's exhausted from work and worry, Rusty eventually fell asleep, but not before he cried some confused tears and noodled on the guitar a little. Final death would not take Rusty, even though his demise would have solved several problems. The first episode of the third season of America's Next Country Star started off with six contestants, including Rusty. Unfortunately, poor Penelope Winston's voice cracked during her attempt to cover Dolly Parton's Jolene. America noticed and voted her off that night. Everyone else, including Rusty, sang like an angel and therefore granted a stay. Despite coming in second on the first round, Rusty and his pitch-perfect cover of Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison was considered a novelty act by everyone on the show's staff outside of Miriam Hatfield. And like any novelty act, he wasn't expected to win. Maybe come in third, which as far as the producers were concerned, would be great in terms of diversity optics, but that was it. While they were allowed to cover whatever song they wished in the first contestant challenge, they had to cover Kenny Rogers' songs for the second round. To make it interesting, each singer had to pick the song they would perform randomly from slips of paper in a cowboy hat prior to the actual taping. Then the show started with all its usual lights and flair as Deborah Robin, an 18-year-old phenom from Dallas, sang her version of But You Know I Love You. The judges lamented that she sounded great, but she didn't make the song her own. Young lady, we love you, but you're not going to win coming out here being intimidated by Kenny Rogers. In fact, you probably had to Google him. So what are you scared for? Little Ryder chided the girl, only to find himself booed by the audience for being too hard on a cute teenager. Performing The Gambler and Lady, respectively, contestants two and three did well enough to escape with more compliments than scolding. Then there was contestant four, Greg Price, who noticeably missed several notes during his rendition of Rogers's, just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. No surprise to anyone who understood how TV producers think that Rusty had been slated to perform last. They knew viewers would stay tuned to see the novelty act. It was a vocal tour de force, born from the fact that he was lucky enough to pull the one Rogers song that was experiencing a sort of rebirth among young people who weren't even born when the country music legend dropped, Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town. When he finished, the entire theater was on its feet for the longest standing ovation in the show's history. Miriam Hatfield was openly weeping, completely overcome with emotion. Then things quieted down as Harpy joined him on stage. Okay, Rusty, now, Let's see what the judges have to say about that. From the judges' table, Chet ruled on Rusty's performance first. Rusty, I must ask, 
Are you sure you're not Kenny Rogers come back to life? If he were not of undead green pallor, he might have blushed as he spoke into the microphone Harpy held up to his face. No, sir, Mr. Chet. I'm just old Rusty. It was wonderful. You have touched me down in my heart. God bless you, Rusty Sea Nail. Was all Miriam could manage between sobs. I think the world of you too, Miss Hatfield, Rusty said with a wry smirk. Fans of the show would see the question, was a zombie contestant flirting with Miriam Hatfield? Posted by bloggers all over social media within minutes of this interaction. Meanwhile, Harpy's eyes were also filled with tears, but that was due to Rusty's smell, not his vocal stylings. Even Will Ryder, the consummate skeptic, and the judge most expected to be cruel to Rusty no matter what, conceded. I must admit, that was amazing, Rusty. I am deeply impressed. The crowd erupted as Harpy threw to commercial break. Well, now is the time for America to decide. Rustle up your phones and text your pics to 888-8888. When we return, we'll see which one of these singing sensations scored the highest and who will have to pack their things and ride off into the sunset. We'll be right back. I don't know how to say this, but I don't think we should do this. Stephen Bouja called out over his shoulder. We have no choice. Christian Brookwater's voice was filled to the brim with agitation. We have to do this now. Stephen Bouja, a recently made vampire who had only months ago been appointed to serve as the Vampire Nation's Secretary of Technology and Education, had planned to spend his evening updating protocols and restrictions to keep humans out of vampire internet servers. Then someone put a zombie on television, and his whole schedule got rearranged. Now he was sitting at his desk, watching America's Next Country Star on his laptop, waiting for a cue to disrupt the show's contestant voting. Meanwhile, the Lord of Vampires stood scowling two feet behind him. Stephen was a mere human trying to protect a childhood friend who had become a werewolf when he first met the vampire that would one day rule over the entire homo-monstrous community. The threesome would experience some terrifying adventures and form an alliance that would lead to a global truce between the previously warring vampire and werewolf factions. Having worked for Christian for a while now, Stephen knew better than to contradict the moody vamp without a damn good reason. But in this moment, he felt Christian was making a big mistake. Chris, I, I mean, Lord Brookwater, speak your peace, Stephen. I don't know if you noticed this, but your zombie killed that song. I mean, I don't even like country music, and I thought he was amazing. Christian shook his head. I realize it was a great performance, but this has got to happen. I've got no other window. But to say the votes would put him in last place after that? Someone is sure to launch an investigation. An investigation I am trusting you to block. Christian snapped. Now pull the trigger. Last place. He won't get eliminated otherwise. Damn, this sucks. Stephen thought as he turned back to his computer and began punching in codes. All right, damn it. Give me one second. And I suggest you be careful talking to me with all that bass in your voice. Meant no disrespect, sire. Fine, Stephen. 
Just do it. A few more taps on the keyboard, and it was over. Steven slumped back in his chair as Christian pulled a cell phone from his leather jacket. Helen, stand by. They should be sending him to his dressing room soon. Is that Gilbert guy there? He sure is. Helen Reese, Christian's second-in-command, answered. Good. Remember what I said. Helen's British accent always intensified when she felt micromanaged. Of course. Christian ended the call and leaned towards Stephen and patted him on the back. Don't worry, kid. I have some ideas for how we can help the dead man country boy. But first, I gotta think big picture and get him the fuck off the TV. Stephen nodded. I get it. I just feel bad for him. I mean, he won the round. He soundly kicked their asses. People dream about shit like this. The two vampires fell silent as the last commercial in the break faded to black, and their manipulation, for better or worse, would play out for the world to see. While Brad and Harpy were no fans of how Rusty smelled, their discomfort from being around the undead singer was nothing compared to how they felt after their talk with the statistics team. Brad shook his head, his lips curled in disgust. They brought him in last. How the fuck did that happen? He was great! I mean, maybe third because he looks like hell, but Jesus! Staring into the stats guy's laptop, Harpy looked ready to cry. And I'm the one that has to get on national TV and announce this. I swear, I hate this fucking business! One stage manager called for Harpy to get on her mark, while another helped guide the contestants to where they were supposed to stand. Makeup artists flurried to give everyone except Rusty touch-ups. The first and last time one of the show's makeup artists touched Rusty, a significant part of his left cheek peeled off. After that, Brad issued orders that the only cosmetic assistance Rusty would receive would be generous spray-downs of air freshener. 30 seconds to live! The lead stage manager shouted. By now, Brad had made his way to the judges' table to brief them. When told the news, Miriam's pallor turned almost as bad as Rusty's. Five, four, three, applause please! In homes across the United States, the opening animation rolled across TV screens, followed by a sweeping wide shot of the cheering crowd in the stage. The crowd settled and the robbery began. Harpy was professional enough to attempt to hide what she was truly feeling, but even passing acquaintances would remark on how she appeared visibly disturbed. Welcome back to America's Next Country Star. All right, America. Over the break, the votes were tallied. You guys made some interesting decisions, that's for sure. And for the first time in the history of the show, the audience at home went in a completely opposite direction of the judges. Turns out, tonight's frontrunner is none other than... She paused for a timpani drum roll and cymbal crash. Deborah Robin! At the announcement, a small blast of confetti shot into the air above Deborah and lights flashed. At home, viewers watched a camera shot of all the contestants zoom in on the happy, but also visibly surprised young lady. Harpy took a deep breath. And now, we are going to show America the rest of the results. The audience went from being happy for Deborah to stunned silence. 
as they saw the final tally in overhead monitors. This means Jan and Paul are safe. And unfortunately, that means Rusty C. Nail from Coosa County, you will not be advancing. Booing and confused muttering began to fill the air. Miriam shot straight up in her seat. I want to say something. Well, yes, Miriam, it is customary for the judges to send off the eliminated. What would you like to say? Miriam fought back tears as the theater fell silent. It's a travesty. Here stands a man, brought back to us by the wisdom of heaven, an unorthodox angel with a voice to match. And because of his appearance, he is deprived of his rightful place on that board. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to you, Deborah. In fact, I'm happy for you, sweetheart. But Rusty C. Nail is one of the best we have ever had on this show. And it just breaks my heart that he stands here, living proof of God's mercy, and he loses his place because, of all things, racism. We have to do better, America. For the outpouring, Miriam received a standing ovation as she sat down. Then it was Chet's turn. I'm not sure what happened. Maybe we were preempted by some war stuff. Who knows? But I'm sorry, you're not making it. You have a great voice, and I'm going to implore you to keep sharing your gift. This time, the applause, while strong, was nowhere near as raucous as what Miriam received. When it settled, all eyes settled on Will Ryder. Look here, folks. No one knows more than me about the history of the marginalized breaking into country music. Now, I'm still not sure I buy certain aspects of this whole thing, but one thing I was convinced of is things happen for a reason. And I think Rusty's apparent return from the grave only means he's supposed to be on this stage. And I'm glad he lost tonight because I'm going to ask you, Rusty, to let me sign you to my damn label. The crowd sprang to their feet, screaming with joy at Will's fixing what they clearly viewed as an injustice. In her mind, Harpy was screaming a thank you to Will as she ran over to Rusty and shoved her microphone in his face. All right, Rusty, big question. Are you going to sign? Rusty almost seemed to smirk. Well, I'd be honored. With Mr. Ryder's tutelage, I am sure we can come up with some hits for the country music world. More applause. Meanwhile, outside the theater, bloggers and celebrity gossip websites would have another take. Did America's Next Country Star just pull a hoax to get the zombie contestant in the studio sooner? Speaking of hits, Rusty, there's one last thing. Like all of our contestants, when you auditioned, you had an original song. Since you're exiting and moving on to bigger things, why don't you play that little ditty that explains how you got here? Well, don't mind if I do, Harpy. She turned to the camera as Rusty walked to center stage. Ladies and gentlemen, giving us a taste of what country music fans will be clamoring for in the future, give it up for Alabama's own Rusty C. Nail singing Dead Man Country. As Harpy and the other contestants cleared out, the cameras found Rusty sitting on a stool. The stage lighting changed from television white to an intimate purple as a zombie with a slowly decomposing face and gifted voice once again told the story of his exit from heaven. 
and for those few minutes, no one worried about whether the story was the truth or not. They only basked in the sheer beauty of what they were hearing and witnessing. Well, I died and went to heaven. Signed to his label? Stephen Buja shouted. Christian threw his head back. Fuck me! His glowing red eyes glued to Stephen's laptop screen and his fangs were extended from being irritated. You still going through with the extraction? I mean, look at him. Maybe we can think of another way. There is no other way. Christian shook his head. Go to Zoom. But the song isn't over. I want to talk to Helen. Okay, okay. Stephen obliged the vampire lord and opened a second laptop. Honey, you there? Stephen asked after a couple of taps on the keyboard. The screen was black, but she heard him clearly enough. Could you not call me that when I'm conducting official business? Yes, Buttercup. She is going to fuck you up. Christian tried to caution his lovesick techie before getting to business. Helen, where are you? I used my powers of persuasion to get hired on the theater's security team, just outside Rusty's dressing room. Earlier, I witnessed a rather unimpressive-looking fellow sneaking inside. Since he hasn't come out, I can only assume it's that Gilbert bloke. Christian nodded. At least something was going the way it was supposed to. That's good. By the way, I'm glad you decided not to kill the zombie. He's very talented. Christian rolled his eyes. Yes, I know. Anyway, I'm standing by, Helen said. Why is your screen black? Stephen asked. Because I'm undercover. The phone is in my pocket, silly. Breast or butt? Such a juvenile. Enough! Both of you! Christian snapped. Helen, remember the plan. Absolutely. Okay, stand by. I think the song's almost over. Well, that may be the last we see of the singing zombie on America's Next Country Star, but it's not the last America will see of Rusty C. Nail, I can guarantee. From the Colgate Amphitheater in Memphis, Tennessee, we're wishing you a grand good night. The cheering continued well after the show faded to black and the stage manager's voice came over the public address system. The audience loaded out as everyone on stage outside of Rusty began making their way backstage. A few people made their way to Rusty and congratulated him on the contract, but for the most part, the scene on stage felt just like the hotel bar party. Very cliquish. Despite the applause, the accolades, and the promise of a recording contract, Rusty couldn't help but feel a little angry. There was something else. He was hungry and not for the turkey and avocado wraps in his dressing room. I need to get off this stage before I hurt someone. He didn't know where his guitar case was and didn't care. Normally the type of guy who saunters, Rusty was full-on speed walking, trying to exit stage left. Will, who had stopped to sign autographs for fans who'd all but rushed the stage at the end of the show, happened to spot Rusty's hasty exit. Rusty, my agent will call you tomorrow and we'll set things up, okay? Rusty barely glanced back. Whatever you say, sir. Once off the stage, he marched down the corridor to his dressing room, which incidentally was isolated from everyone else's dressing rooms, the green rooms, the press junket area, the control room, and pretty much everything else. 
Normally reserved for high-end divas, Brad decided the room's location in the theater made it the best place to put the odorous Rusty. As Rusty stepped to the door and reached for the knob, a woman's hand grabbed his wrist. Not so fast, Mr. Nail. Rusty turned to face what appeared to be an attractive, red-headed British lady dressed in all black. Ma'am? Something about her didn't feel right. Wait a... She clamped her left hand over Rusty's mouth and pulled her Glock with the other. Shh! He obeyed as she opened the door, turned, and walked into the room where she immediately found herself face to face with another man holding a gun. What the hell? You Gilbert? Why do you have a gun, Gilbert? Your orders were to capture this zombie, not kill him. Considering he was just on TV, I would say he's pretty docile, wouldn't you? You could have done that with a taser. Says who? Who are you? I'm from upper management. Gilbert's eyes grew wide with fright. Wait, you're a... Uh... Don't get your knickers in a twist, love. Helen turns to pull Rusty into the dressing room. Just know that if you shoot this zombie, I'm authorized to drink every drop of blood in your body. As Gilbert lowered his weapon, an incredulous Rusty turned to Helen. I knew something was wrong with you. You're... British. Yeah, I know. She pulled her phone out of her jacket. Christian, you still there? Gotcha loud and clear, the vampire lord answered. Hold me up to Gilbert first. She did as she'd been instructed. Hello, do you know who I am? Gilbert might have pissed himself. Oh my god, are you Christian Brookwater? Exactly. Now I just have one question for you. Were you going to shoot that zombie? Gilbert's voice quaked. Yes, but only because that is what Raymond told me to do. Christian nodded. Okay, kid. Here is the deal. You're going to leave the gun somewhere in that room, and you are going to go home. Do you understand me? Y yes, sir. Gilbert put the gun down on a small table next to the turkey wraps, and with one last look at Rusty as he made for the door. You were great tonight, by the way. Very kind of you to say, sir, Rusty said as he tipped his hat. Once Gilbert was gone, Christian's voice rang out of the phone. I think he pissed himself. He totally pissed himself, Helen affirmed as she turned the phone towards herself. Would you like to speak to Mr. Nail now? Yes, please. Rusty's eyes filled with curiosity as Helen repositioned the phone so they could see each other. Christian, the Vampire Lord, they told me I was supposed to write a song about you once I was famous. Speaking of that, do you have a name you could provide? Christian asked. You want the names of the vampires that did this to me? I never knew their names, sir. I didn't know anyone by name except Raymond. They kind of made him be my handler, in a manner of speaking. Once they'd put whatever drug they'd shot into me to make me like this, all alert and not hungry, whatever they wanted, they just told him. What was all that business about how you got kicked out of heaven? Rusty shrugged. It's just a song, sir. I had no idea it would get people riled up, least of all Miriam Hatfield. Christian chuckled. Okay, look... I want to get you back to my compound and let my people run some tests on you. Nothing crazy or invasive. 
Nothing that should hurt too bad. I just want to find out how they did this to you. Now, if you could just go along with the lady I sent to rescue you, I would appreciate it. Rusty looked as if he were considering his options, and finally realizing he had none. I suppose you're going to be putting a stop to my record deal situation? Christian sighed. Rusty, I swear, I'll make it up to you somehow. Kill, kill, kill. All right then. Thank you, Rusty. Trust me, you're doing the right thing. You're welcome. Helen? Yes, Christian? Slight change on the order. Forget about leaving the corpse. Helen's eyes narrowed. Really? That was the most expensive part of the trip? Dump the body and come home. As you wish. The call ended. Back in New York, Stephen turned to Christian. What are you going to do now? Well, first I am going to get Raymond and interrogate him. You gonna kill him after? Christian shook his head. I met Raymond when he was 12. His grandmother's last words were to me, for me to take care of him. Despite this betrayal, he's like family to me. I'm not going to kill him. I may beat the snot out of him and imprison him for the rest of his life, but I can't kill him. What if he doesn't give you the names of the vampires that created Rusty? Christian's eyes turned their deepest red. Oh, that I'm not worried about. Stephen said a quiet prayer for Raymond as he watched Christian exit through the door. The sudden disappearance of Rusty C. Nail sent shockwaves through the America's Next Country Star fanbase and birthed conspiracy theories that would live on for years. When reached for comment, Will Ryder had an interesting theory. Maybe the good lord in his infinite wisdom decided to take Rusty back unto his bosom. An inconsolable Miriam Hatfield would join Will in presenting that as Rusty's final chapter. The night after Rusty's disappearance, Christian read Will's remarks off a computer screen in his office when he was summoned to the Loading Dock World Vampire Council's main office building. He was greeted by several of his soldiers and Helen. At Helen's side sat a hospital gurney. What happened? he asked. Helen pulled the blanket away, revealing Rusty triple-strapped to his gurney. Sadly, his eyes were blank like any other ghouls. At the sight of Helen's face, Rusty hissed and struggled against his restraints. Spittle ran down his face. He turned back to being a regular zombie while we were bringing him in, Helen explained. Christian punched the air. Damn! Helen pulled her Glock from its holster. Should I put him out of his misery? No. Raymond is here. I'm going to make him tell me what he knows. Then we are going to restore Rusty, just as he was. Even without the British accent, Helen's tone dripped with sarcasm. Because the world needs a country singer zombie? Because the world could use whatever makes zombies cognizant, and I need to behead the people who did this to embarrass me. It's a win-win. You can admit you liked the song, you know? Helen mocked. Shut up, Christian said as he walked away. Before giving the order for the other vampires to take Rusty to the lab, she looked down in his angry face one last time. Somewhere behind those ravagers' eyes was a fantastic musician. 
and she agreed with Christian that there was nothing wrong with saving him. Lord have mercy, they're coming to take my wings. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram at NightlightPod, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ransompodcasts. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. Join us next time, and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know who might be studying you in the dark. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.